Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. It's time to start talking draft. That means... DK, Danny Kelly, the Dark Knight, is here with us. Danny, what's up, man? Oh, you know, not a whole lot. Just kind of digging into all these draft guys. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, Is there anything you've gotten into, surprisingly, or gone down as far as a rabbit hole during this moment period that you didn't expect? (laughs) Like, are you into, like, hockey now or something? Because you just started (laughs) watching YouTube at some point? So, no, I have not. And the real story is... Uh, I'm taking care of a child and working full time right now, so like the f- the free time isn't really as much as I wish it was right now in this in this time of streaming and binging and all that. So sure, um, I'm very very glad that I get to, to think about football though. It, it's a very nice distraction right now. So I'm working full time as well. That's the part that we have in common uh, because uh, I do not yet have a child. Uh, <laughs> the the child raising part is going towards uh, putting in my room, <laughs> nice, and watching old college football games on YouTube and reading Amazing. novels that I missed over the past. 400 years of literature. So <laughs> that's, that's where that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm automatic putting within about eight feet. Uh, that will not matter. And I'll three putt everything as soon as I, I return to a golf course in late 2022. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at. So let's you, start with the draft process. Right what am I reading right now? Um, I am reading a bunch of sports books. Nice. Um, I read, I talked about this on Rosillo last week. I just read The Hot Zone, uh, which is about Ebola. And I don't recommend it for people right now unless you (laughs) want to learn more about very scary diseases. Um, I think all the people that are watching uh, Contagion right now and Outbreak and stuff, it's like going crazy on Netflix right now. Well, I don't think, yeah, it's a little, and people reading The Stand as well. I read 100 pages of The Stand and I was like, I'm kind of out on this. Yeah, I did not. I did not fair. finish the stand. It's also like a. It's also like thousands of pages. It's like fourteen hundred pages. Yeah, it's not Jesus. thousands, but still. Yeah, man, let's come on. Uh, I read much. a little Faulkner, a little Faulkner, a little William Faulkner. Missed him wow. in uh, in high school and college. Yeah, and so reading a little, read a little prose, and then uh, a little Cormac McCarthy as well. Uh, then a bunch of nonfiction. I'll probably make okay. a probably make a video of it later this week about the nonfiction because I, I feel weird. I don't like recommending fiction to people because everyone's so different. I just mm, like re- recommending nonfiction because it's like, well, you'll learn some stuff. What's the harm? Yeah, I like that. All right. Let's talk about the draft because we had free let's agency. That's mostly settled now. The things are still coming out. Obviously, there's a second wave of free agency or a third wave, depending on how you view free agency. But essentially now, the dominant thing is the draft. Adam Schefter had the idea. I think it's genius. I've actually thought about this for a while of <laughs> instead of pushing the draft back is just expanding it and having it be like a week long event. Yeah. And I don't necessarily see the harm in that. What about for the people that are covering it? Well, it's going to be in the like studio. Me. They don't have to fly. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, we're going to have to cover it anyway. No, if I know. it's three I'm days just, or kidding. five days or whatever. I'm okay. With, I'd rather have the content. 
So as a fan, honestly, as a fan, it it does make sense because there's no sports right now. We need the distractions, all that stuff. As a fan, though, I'm just desperate to find out how this all goes, and so that would be cru- that would just be excruciating to me to to spread it okay. out seven days. I'm I understand. Just, I'm ready. That. I, I- I totally understand that, and I, I get that. And I don't necessarily think it would happen, especially this year. But I've I've long thought that if the listen, the NFL moved it from Saturday to Friday, or excuse me, uh, Saturday to Thursday, mm-hmm. and because they wanted more eyeballs on it, there's a reason that they now have co- combine drills in prime time. Like they're trying to program the off season. They've tried to do this for a number of years and kind of make this a true twelve month sport or ten month sport or, or whatever you want to call it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to fiddle with the draft just a, a little tiny bit. Yeah. All right. Um, let's do a mock draft. Let's do I, I your, your draft guide is coming out later this week. I want to just roll through a mock draft and then have a discussion on each. Um, some of these picks will be obvious. We won't spend that much time on it. Some will be extremely curveball as you put oh, it before, yes. before this podcast started. So you're the expert. If you haven't read Danny Kelly's draft guide, you have to stop whatever you're doing, uh, including listening to this podcast. It just goes straight there. Just consume it all. <laughs> um, so having said that, number one pick Cincinnati Bengals. Don't, don't feel like there's going to be much controversy here. No. Joe Burrow, for sure. I mean, I can't see any reason now at this point that it's not going to be Burrow. I mean, there was a time maybe a month or two ago where people were starting to talk like, oh, if if Tua gets healthy and his hip checks out of the combine, all that stuff, if he goes and does a really good pro day and all that, you know, all those parts of the process, if those went perfectly for Tua, then there could be a chance that, you know, the Bengals might think about it. But I don't don't think any of that's happening. I think Burrow's the guy. That's the plan for them. That's how, you know, that's basically what you're hearing everywhere. So, yeah, Burrow, don't overthink it. I think he's the number one pick. Number two. Okay. I, I agree with you. You don't, you don't think if you just took the teams away, if every team was drafting, do you think Joe Burrow would be picked 32 times out of 32 or would some of them go with Tua? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I bet you that, I, I bet you it's close enough that a few teams would certainly go with Tua. Like maybe it would be. And what's the argument for that? Um, you know, maybe it's just a style Tua has more, yeah. a longer, um, he's done it longer. Like he has multiple seasons of very, yeah. very high level production. He's very, very quick processor. Um, you know, they're a little bit different styles. They both don't have elite arm talent. Like not, neither of them have elite arm talent. Both of them are extremely, extremely accurate though. And so I don't know, it would honestly probably just be one of those things where someone has a preference over one guy or the other. Maybe it's the leadership or intangibles or or whatever it is. Um, but I think there's certainly the argument that Tua could be the top guy for a few teams because, I mean, just look at what he's done in college. He's super accurate, really, really quick processor. He's, he reminded me kind of a little bit of True Breeze in the sense that he just gets the ball out. He knows exactly where he's going with the ball at all times. And so I, I, I would guess there's at, at least a few teams that have him at the top of the board. But Burrow is, I think, probably the vast majority, the number one guy. All right. Number two, Washington. So I think this is going to be very interesting for the Redskins because they'll have an opportunity to trade back. I'm sure teams will, A, either want Chase Young at that spot because Chase Young is a elite defensive lineman um, prospect. And so there's certainly going to be teams Can you quickly calling. compare him to somebody? Let me pull up my draft guide. Uh, I've got him compared to Jadavian Clowney. Some people don't like that. I, I was mostly looking at the physical traits. Like Jadavian okay. Clowney's physical He's just a, you know, big, strong, explosive, quick, 
kind of just like a game wrecker, and and that's how I see. You know, you know, if you wanted to, I, not to undercut your point, if you want Jadavian Clowney, you know, you could get right now, <laughs> right? Is uh, free agent Jadavian Clowney? <laughs> yeah, and so I think so. I've had some people that complain about that. I think you know, there's other people who, you know, there's certainly a, a bunch of other comps that would work. I think he's a little bit unique, but the way he's built. I think Young is going to come in and be more productive than Clowney is term in terms of sacks and all that. Clowney has been a very good player, but the sacks haven't always been, I think, where he wanted to be or where people expected him to be. And that's probably why as of, you know, 2-12 on, on Wednesday afternoon, he is still a free agent. Um, it's because I think the sack total is a question mark. The injuries are a question mark. So, you know, comps are... Comps are always a little bit dangerous because people think you're saying, oh, he's not going to have very many sacks in the NFL or whatever. But to me, it was more right. like a physical. He is just a dominant, big, strong, fast, long defensive end who can do a lot of different things for you. So, um, but yeah, there's there's tons of guys that he reminds me of, actually. He's just really, If you were really Washington, good. wouldn't wouldn't you think more about taking Tua, too? I just feel like there hasn't been enough discussion. They, so I, I think that's out. I assume Cardinal that's out. Thing? They trade. Yeah. They trade for Kyle Allen, who's going to be the backup, I guess, or whatever. And then they have Dwayne Haskins starting, I suppose. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand Ron Rivera wanted to start with Chase Young and building on a defense like that. But if you re, if you think, if you're convinced that two was an elite quarterback, I think you kind of, unless you have a quarterback you think you win the Super Bowl with, I think you should always leave the door open to take a quarterback you think you win the Super Bowl with. And so yeah. I guess it comes down to how this new coaching staff feels about Dwayne Haskins. I don't, I don't, no, and so if they feel like Haskins is a good NFL starter, I, I can I can buy a Chase Young pick. I just think it's yeah. maybe a little closer than we've all given it credit for. Just to, just as far as how much value Tua brings to a franchise. Yeah. That's all. I mean, if you look at the amount of improvement that the Cardinals had last year, and they did the exact same thing. Obviously, they they went with Rose in the year before, ended up deciding to give up on that. I guess after one year and go with uh, Kyler Murray at the top pick, they completely overhauled their offense and it changed yeah. everything. I mean, to me, they're an ascending team now. The the Cardinals are, and I don't know. I would definitely not call the Redskins that. I do think getting Chase Young on the defensive line would be a hell of a lot of fun. But quarterback, I mean, everything revolves around your quarterback, honestly. And so, um, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't be shocked. It would be surprising, but I wouldn't be completely, completely shocked if that's the route they went. All right. Quickly, Detroit Lions, number three. Yeah. So, again, this is a situation where the Lions could certainly trade back. I think the the odds-on favorite is that they'll trade back. Um, let's not do trades, I suppose, here. So, I think no. the Lions, obviously, after trading Darius Slay, are going yeah, to need to upgrade their defensive secondary. They've got a ton of needs, but I think Jeffrey Akuda from Ohio State is just as he's as safe and as high floor, high ceiling of a cornerback prospect in this class. He's he's really 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 elite. So this is a little bit of a no brainer if they want to go the quarterback cornerback route. If they want to go to a different route, though, they have. I mean, they've got a million different options here. You could go with a guy like Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, who is just this amazingly athletic versatile linebacker slash safety slash corner like slot corner type guy can can pass rush a little bit too they have their pick of the litter in terms of the tackle position um you know defensive tackle position they could go Derek brown or something like that so they got or a receiver even if they wanted so there's just tons and tons of options here but i think the the, the best the best case or the most i guess predictable case is jeff okuda here 
Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 is what everybody thinks, especially after you, as you as you said, did you trade Darius Slay? Uh, Darius Slay really hates Matt Patricia. <laughs> yeah, I cannot emphasize this enough. Darius Slay despises Matt Patricia. Um, yeah, I, I I think that that's the pick here. Um, I could see again. I could see a weird situation where either, I mean, them trading back would not be a weird situation. You can't trade back too far because there's only a, a certain amount of elite defenders yeah. in this draft. But I don't know. I mean, is there, if they believe in Tua, there might be a situation where maybe they just let him sit behind Matthew Stafford for a year. Or yeah. Two. I don't know. I, I just, I keep, I keep, I keep struggling with the idea that Tua is really going to fall to right. five and, or six. And, and we'll get to that in a second. But, I just think this this league talks itself into quarterbacks that are really bad all the time, and Tua's right. really good. <laughs> and so I kind of feel like, in in the same way that every bad quarterback gets overdrafted, Tua will in some way find a way to to get picked in the first three picks. This is my this is just a completely uh, uneducated just feeling of what what. The, this league does when there's a good quarterback. Should available. we just should we just do this? We should. I think we should just do a trade. I think the I think the the Chargers are going to trade up to number three. Okay, so is this is this your scenario in which in which they get? Yes. It? Or or I think I think the Chargers. We talked about this before the pod. So how does this? So happen? right now, the two teams that are most commonly linked to Tua are the Chargers and the Dolphins. You know, and, and there's tons and tons of opinions out there. There's tons and tons of little whispers and reports on which teams like which guys more. The overwhelming, I guess, majority of, of what I've heard is that the Chargers absolutely love Tua. And it would make a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, you know, they let Phillip Rivers go. The Dolphins seem to be a little bit like behind in terms of the rebuild than the Chargers are. The Chargers have like a good defense. They've got a lot of really good pieces. They've got really good offensive weapons. To me, the Chargers are a little bit further along in like the competitiveness area, and having a, a guy like Tua could completely turn them around. And the Dolphins are a little bit further behind, in my opinion. So I think the Chargers are going to be really aggressive here and trade up to number three with the Lions. Of course, the only wild card here is the Dolphins have a shitload of, of draft capital to yeah. trade, so maybe they can make a better offer. But I do think the Pan or the the Cardinal or sorry the Chargers are going to trade up to number three and take Tua at number three. So let's just pencil that in. Okay, so for the New York Giants, Dave Gettleman of the New York Giants, wheeling and dealing here at four, open for business. Yeah. Again, you know, if a, if another team wants to come up and get just uh, Justin Herbert, this is the spot to do it. And I don't, but I don't think. I mean, I guess does Dave Gettleman have an operating phone? <laughs> I don't think he's ever traded back. He said they're open for business. Yeah, he hasn't. So. He is. He and. <laughs> He and like Mike Brown are the two guys who just right. don't understand that you. Although the Bengals are spending money now, New Age Bengals. Yeah, they're not. So isn't isn't the Bengals thing like we're not in the business of making other teams better or whatever? <laughs> so I, weird. I don't. The Bengals thing is the Bengals thing is a lot of things. <laughs> All right, at four, who do you like if if the if the Giants keep? The okay, pick? so I think my my favorite pick here, I think, would be Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker out of Clemson. But I think. They're going to go offensive tackle, and I think based on Kettleman's history, it's going to be Mekhi Becton out of Louisville. Just big, strong, fast, rare, rare size. What an athlete! Rare, rare athlete. size. Yeah. Like I, I, I. Do you think that the guys who who worked out at the combine 
will have an advantage because they did it and, and weren't at the pro days or didn't have to wait till the pro days, all that stuff. A guy like Becton who absolutely dominated, yeah. uh, ran a, a five, one 40 yard dash to 364 pounds. Do you think those guys will have a little bit of an advantage? Do you think that's just kind of scouts and GMs saying that now? And then by the time it rolls around that the, the pro days will, will have kind of a negligible. Effect. I think for, for guys this high in the draft, it, it mm-hmm. will be an advantage. I mean, there's certainly guys that potentially could fall out. You know, they could have maybe worked their way into the middle rounds if they had a great pro day. Teams see them and, and, and are around them and see their athleticism, see their size and all that, and then maybe move them up their board a little bit. For the guys like this, you know, being there and watching Becton run that 40, you know, I think that's going to be solidified. He wasn't going to fall, you know, based on what happens at a pro day or guys weren't going to maybe go above him, I think. So... Um, yeah, I think these guys certainly have an advantage because they've been around all these scouts. They've been around all these GMs. Now there's just all this uncertainty. There's not going to be pro days. You know, there might not even be medical checks after this. Um, so, um, the two probably yeah. not. And there, and there won't be, I mean, it's going to be really hard to get, I'm not really hard. It's going to be impossible to get any visits yeah. done. Um, I think it's going to probably be a little more of a risk averse draft in the sense that if you haven't triple checked on something, whether that's medical, whether that's you have a concern about um, some incident in the past, whatever it is, like it's going to be hard to nail down yeah. certain question yeah. marks. Um, and I think that that's I think that it won't be huge. Like I don't think there's going to be people who would have been drafted in the third round normally who go undrafted. Like I don't think it's going to be that big. Yeah. But I think maybe, you know, a couple there are going to be a couple of cases where it's like oh well we couldn't get a second look at this knee or you know this guy was kicked off his team we couldn't figure out why yep. and, and we normally talk to 100 people and instead we talked to three kind of thing i think that's spot on yeah that's all all right next one we have number five it's the miami dolphins so with Tua off the board i think the dolphins here go herbert um herbert's one of those guys mm-hmm. where a lot of people aren't super high on him but i think a lot of nfl teams are I think you, they look at you know his size, his athleticism, his arm, and they see a guy that they can mold into a very good quarterback. You know, and, and he's got he's he's mature. He's learned a whole bunch of different offenses at Oregon throughout the years. You know, he's 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 got kind of a lot of the traits I think coaches look for at quarterback. And they didn't have to move around to get him. It kind of he just kind of falls into their lap here. So I think that to me makes the most sense for them choosing him here. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to force that. I really don't because I, I talked to Chris Greer about this in December for a piece I wrote. I I think that they understand that mistakes are made when you overdraft a guy. And, I, and, and this is not, they're not building for 2020 necessarily. They're building for a long time. And that's why they made the most transactions in recent memory, took a huge dead cap charge. Like, I think this might be, I think if if two is off the board by then, I I could see them rolling it over another year and 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 trying to check out what might happen next. You know who'd be really interesting here is Isaiah Simmons, because he's the kind of guy he's yes, the kind of guy you could would build be. your your defense around. They already have two really good uh, cornerbacks. Getting a like a movable chess piece type guy like him in that defense that'd be a lot of fun. I could definitely see them kind of leaning that way. Do you want to do that? Do you want to have that be the curveball here? No, we're going to, this is your mock draft that we're annotating, <laughs> not mine. Fair enough. All right. Well, I'm going Herbert, but I do. We will stick to the mock draft. We will stick to the guy. No one's rushing to the ring.com to read my draft guide. Well, for the record, this is a little different than the actual one I have up at the site right now. We're, we're making this a little separate content. Wow. 
Yeah, we're just giving the people some bonus content. They need it. All right, uh, six. Is this the Chargers pick or the now, Giants? Now this pick? is the Lions pick. Lions pick. Excuse me. I'm and sorry. And lo and behold, yes, this is the Lions pick from Kuda is still there, which makes perfect sense. Wow, makes perfect sense for the Lions to trade back, pick up whatever they pick up, and then still get their guy. I think six, six is fine. Six and five is fine for them for the Lions because they're still going to be a defensive playmaker that Matt Patricia can build his brilliant yeah. team around. So. I love I love people. Oh man, Matt Patricia, this so and so, and they're saying this at Okada. They're oh, so and so would be a great fit. Matt Patricia defense. Like, have you seen Matt Patricia's teams play? <laughs> Is anybody a good fit for the Lions right now? Are I'm curious. Are any Lions fans kind of optimistic about the Patricia regime right now? Hit hit I us up if on they are. Up, they can yeah, tweet at you. I'm curious. They're not us. They can hit. They can hit you. <laughs> you don't up. want to know. I don't. I just. <laughs> I, I'd i be intrigued. Actually, I, I will check your mentions to see how it goes. I would like to see the arguments that Matt Patricia is on. I will say the Daryl Bevel experiment has seemed to be working pretty well. Like they seem to unlock. It was fine. I mean, Matt, Matt the Matt Stafford health thing really yeah, mattered last yeah, year. For sure. Matt, Matt Stafford is really good. And like that's why that's why I'm, I was very hesitant to say that the Lions should look at Tua mm-hmm. at three because I am a big Matthew Stafford fan. But I also just sort of get value and how much more valuable an elite quarterback is over other positions. All right, uh, seven Carolina Panthers. So yeah, I mean they can go in a million different directions here. The pan, yeah, weird weird team because we thought they were tanking at some point because they trade Turner to the Chargers. We don't really know what they're doing. They're letting a lot of talent out the door. Then they sign who they believe to be a franchise quarterback for sixty million dollars. So I, I, I've been. I I think there's a lot of smart people there. Um, I think Matt Rule is smart, but I don't know the direction this team is heading in. So I'm intrigued to hear what you think. I, I think they're trying to do the thing where they compete and rebuild at the same time. So they're not trying to tank for a for a great. high. That always yeah, works. It's, it's yeah, no, great. You know, it's one of those classic, things, but classic working thing. <laughs> I mean, that's how it feels. That's why you sign a, a you know veteran quarterback to that contract. That's why they signed Robbie Anderson. I guess I, I didn't really understand that you know transaction. I mean, Robbie Anderson became so cheap that it. it I'm fine yeah. with that. I like that Robbie Anderson signing. I kind of lean them going Simmons because I just think Simmons is one of the top like five, four or five best players in this draft. Period. Even counting the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Um, you know, with you got you got Luke Keekley who just retired, and you know, if you want to refill that position and put a really really good player there, I think is Isaiah Simmons makes a ton of sense, and so. I don't know what the analytics would say about taking a linebacker at this spot, but I think it. I think he's one of those players that kind of transcends position and can do a million different things to your defense and and makes them a lot better. So um, I think that's my favorite fit for this spot. All right, uh, eight the Arizona Cardinals. I think the Cardinals. It is so funny that the Arizona Cardinals have the, a top <laughs> ten pick, got DeAndre Hopkins, and the Houston Texans who have traded away. DeAndre Hopkins and Jadevian Clowney in the last two years have zero. I can't, yeah, I can't even believe that. Just iconic. <laughs> Just iconic. All right, the Cardinals are picking. So this eight. is so that move for for Hopkins is a great, great move, and not just because they get a top tier uh, receiver for cheap, but it gives them a lot of flexibility at this number eight spot. They can do, they could go like any different direction. They still need a lot of help on defense. I personally lean towards them building their team and their identity around Kyler Murray, around that offense, around the Cliff Kingsbury, you know, air raid style offense. So I think they go with an offensive tackle here 
to to shore up their offensive line, give Kyler Murray a little bit more time to pick apart a defense, all that stuff. Um, so there's multiple guys that have been mocked to him, mocked to the Cardinals at this spot. You know, whether it's Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, who was another athletic, absolutely outstanding athletic um, tester at the combine. You know, ran really, really fast, jumped out of the building, all that stuff. Um, I'm going to go with Jedrick Wills just because I think you can plug him in immediately at right tackle. He's a, he's a mauler. He's he's really, really steady, really good player. Um, just kind of a high floor, immediate starter for the Cardinals, and they can hit the ground running. Um, I love Worfs, too. Either of those guys really would work. Andrew Thomas is really good as well from Georgia. So they have they have like they have their pick of like three. Willis of the, is from Alabama. Thomas is from Georgia. Yep. And then um, Worfs from Iowa. So yeah, I think you know pick any of those three guys, and I'd be perfectly happy that with that for the Cardinals. Um, but I'm going with Wills here. Perfect. All right, nine Jacksonville Jaguars. They might be tanking a little tiny bit they might be do they might be finishing off what the, we thought the panthers might be doing it's crazy looking at their defense now compared to like a few years ago like when they had all these what looked like the cornerstone franchise pieces you know and now like all those guys are gone so it, it's very very it's, it's it's a bummer for them but they have to kind of like start rebuilding re, restocking the shelves and again you know they can go in a million different directions i Kind of lean. So, like in my last mock draft, I gave them Derek uh, Derek Brown here from Auburn. Brown is one of those guys that's fallen maybe a little bit in the eyes of some people on the outside um, because he did not test that well at the combine. Uh, he was not athletic. He wasn't explosive in those tests, and it didn't really match up with the tape. Like the tape is good. He's very disruptive. He you know shoots gaps. He can take on double teams. He can do all the stuff you want from a a dominant interior defender. And he was a star for that Auburn team. Um, but maybe that made him fall a little bit. So ha- having him be here still at number nine, I think, is is a pretty good choice. Like, the Jags could take him and just feel really good about it um, because they're getting a guy that they can just plug into their defensive line and, and go. So Brown, I guess, is a popular pick for the Jags, but it just makes a ton of sense because, you know, they're building from the trenches and, and kind of starting from there. They could also go corner, but there's a lot of corners they could get later. They have two picks in the first round. Um, they could go receiver. Same deal. There's so many receivers in this class that they could wait and still get a really, really good receiver, like in the second round or, or with their second sec, uh, with their second first-round pick. So um, ultimately, I kind of went with a guy who was in a sort of a tier of his own at the defensive tackle position. All right, let's do the Browns and we'll do some rapid fire. Hit me. Hit me with the Browns pick. Number 10. Browns need a tackle. They need a left tackle. They need someone who's going to protect Baker Mayfield. That's the biggest thing. And with Wirfs and Andrew. Added, Con- added, added, added Jack Conklin, but they still they might need a little more work yeah. still. They got they got their right tackle kind of locked up. And yep. both Wirfs. This was the this was the heel. And we we last year when Mays and I and and, and you, Danny, we were all talking about the Browns and we we're like, well, the offensive line's bad, but you know, they'll figure that out. And they just didn't figure it out. Narrator. And th- this offseason, they're just sitting, sitting there and they're being patient and they're not taking big swings. They're just building the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And I actually quite like it. Yeah. I think it was a smart play here. And, and I think I'm, I'm going with Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Okay. And he is a plug and play left tackle. He has experience, excuse me, has experience on both sides of the line, but so that gives him a little bit of that like added boost. Like if Conklin were to get injured, they could plug him in at either sideline if they wanted to. But um, Thomas, I think he's he's a he's a natural left tackle. He can start from day one. 
gives them the stability on the offensive line that they def- definitely need. I think he fits the scheme that uh, Stefanski is going to run. He's, he's, you know, he's got movement skills. He's, he's very athletic. Now, all that said, I think Tristan Wirfs from Iowa is you can make pretty much all the exact same arguments. So either of the guys, again, either of those guys could fit here. Wirfs is, Wirfs is sort of a prototypical zone-blocking offensive lineman because he's very, very athletic. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Browns lean him. He has some experience at left tackle. He mostly played right tackle, but he has played left tackle. So that, you know, they could see him on the left side. Because um, I think Conklin's pretty much set for the right side, right? I mean, that, I would imagine. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So, anyways, I'm going with Thomas. He can run that wide zone. Look, they want to be a run-heavy team, I think, under Stefanski. That's what they were for the Vikings. And so it just makes perfect sense for them to get in. Plus, there's a huge tier drop-off after the top four tackles. So, it's not. I don't think they can wait. I don't think they can pick something else here and then wait later and get an elite tackle. I think this is the spot they have to get that left tackle. All right, we'll do some rapid fire real quick. Uh, give me someone who's going to go underdrafted and it's going to make you mad. Oh, it's going to fall you, you think? Yes, yeah, so someone or or just someone who who everyone is standing is a third round pick and should be higher. Something like that where you're going to go, why did we let this guy drop? Well, who, mm. Whoever it is, it can be any sort of prospect. So the first guy that kind of comes to mind in that is T. Higgins from Clemson, the receiver. Um, mm. He didn't test deep, deep receiver class. Yeah, super deep receiver class. There's some guys that have really risen up in the in the during the process. Um, Denzel Mims from Baylor is kind of like the the superstar that he he dominated the Senior Bowl. He dominated the Combine. Higgins, meanwhile, um, did not. I think he he tested at his pro day and did not. It didn't put up good explosive numbers. So people are kind of a little bit fall, like forgetting about him, and so. I could see him falling not only out of the first round, but maybe a little into like the mid-second or whatever. I think he's a really, really good player. Um, he's got the traits to be like a, a very good deep threat on the outside. You know, he's got he lives above the rim. He, he's he's very much like a contested catch expert, but he's smooth, athletic. He, above the rim, I like yeah, that. Yeah, he lives above the rim. That's one of my favorite scouting terms. So I, th- I could see him falling a little bit, and I still, but I still think he's like a really good player. So he's the kind of guy who I'm like, man, how did he fall out of the first round? I could see that happening. When we get close to the draft, I want you to just do ten minutes on your favorite scouting terms. We'll have Daniel Jeremiah on or something. That would be too. actually really fun. Sand in his pants. Um, <laughs> let's very quickly move on from whatever you just said. Um, <laughs> all right, no, I get it. Um, all right, exact opposite. Who's going to get overdrafted and make you mad? Um, I would say. You know, the Jordan Love thing, I think, is going to be a very, very interesting one <laughs> to watch because, you know, he, he's, he's, there's so many caveats that go into the, to the Jordan Love evaluation. Number one, he was really good in 2018. His 2019 season was kind of a disaster. It was like 20 touchdowns to 17 picks. Like he was just throwing terrible picks, um, making bad decisions with the football. His accuracy was kind of all over the place. Um, but teams absolutely love his his traits and his arm. He's got good arm talent. You know, he can kind of throttle in between throwing fastballs and, and throwing, like, touch passes down the field, all that. He can move around. He's athletic. So there's tons and tons of traits there. And there's, like, whispers coming during the combine that he was going to be, like, a top 10 pick. And so that's, to me, that feels like a... The, the, the Ryan Nassib Memorial, why is this guy rising up the board? <laughs> I, and, and, and to be clear, like I like him. I think like taking him in the late first round is ideal because it's not like you're you're trading a top. It's not like you're giving up a top ten pick for this guy. You don't have to trade up for him. Like if he's there late in the first round or in the early second round, I think that's a great pick because he is absolutely just a project 
type quarterback with all the traits you want, but it's just going to take a little bit of time to like get him ready to go. At least that's how it seems based on his 2019 season. Um, but, but like we saw with Daniel Jones last year, and like you mentioned earlier in the pod, p- teams go crazy about these quarterbacks. So he could be a top 10 pick. And I think that would be a, just a very big risky move for whatever team. It is. I'm not saying he's going to bust, but I think it's a, he's a very much of a boom bust player. So he, he's the first guy that comes to mind. Last question. Is there a team that is on your radar that might just completely lose their minds or not and just do something drastic like, you know, I trade up 20 spots or sell the, you know, pull a Ricky Williams trade or, or even, you know, this obviously was not losing their minds, but I think everybody was really surprised when the Chiefs traded up to the top, uh, top half of the draft to take Patrick Mahomes, that kind of thing. Is there a mm-hmm. team that's good now or that might take some wild swing or say, hey, we got to sell off for Tua? Is there a team that you've circled here say, hey, watch this team because they might do something wild? I'm kind of looking at the Jaguars, honestly, because they've got two first-round picks, including a top-ten pick. If they wanted to trade up and get Tua or someone like that, they could do it. Now, that's going to piss people off because Minshew mania and all that. And I like Minshew, actually. But... If you have a chance to go up and get Tua, I think yeah, that's you know, my they're, thought. They're a team that's me like you can see the team train back to nine. He, they could give up their other first round pick, and and that's the deal. And they go up and get Tua. You know, I could see that happening. There's a re, there's a world where that happens. Um, am I saying it's going to happen? No, but it, it's something that I'm kind of looking at just based on the fact they have two those two first round picks, and they're sort of like you said, they're rebuilding. They're starting for a little bit from scratch. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely one that kind of comes to mind. The Vikings have two first round picks now too. So they've got the ammo to kind of do some things if they wanted to, uh, the 49ers now are sitting pretty at number 13. They also have number 31 in this draft, so they can kind of, they could do some things. I think they'll probably trade back. (laughs) They probably won't be like the type of team moving up, but they have the ammo to do it now with that second first round pick. So, um, yeah, those are kind of the wild card teams. The Raiders are always a bit wild card as well. Okay, Danny Kelly, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we're joined now by one of the smartest guys as far as breaking down salary cap NFL contracts, and I felt like we needed him on to explain what's happening in free agency right now. Um, Joel Corey, former agent, negotiated a lot of contracts. How you doing, Joel? I'm doing pretty good. How you guys doing? Uh, doing good, doing good. So uh, let's break down big picture what happened in free agency here, because I've heard a lot of people talk about how there was a first wave of free agency, and then it almost skipped to the end of free agency. And now there's bargains everywhere. And there wasn't a second layer because of the CBA, because of coronavirus, ma- meaning that the second tier free agents weren't able to get medicals. And if you have a question mark, it's harder to get through there. Um, big picture, Joel, what happened in free agency this year that's different from previous years? First thing is you had a glut of quarterbacks on the market. Right. You usually have um, this this year, which was highly unusual, that supply greatly exceeded demand. Normally, you have one veteran quarterback who's a potential starter on the open market, or two. and he's bad. It's not Tom Brady and Philip Rivers. Normally, it's just a bad quarterback. Yeah, or like that's how Kirk Cousins got the fully guaranteed right. three-year contract because he's a good, not great quarterback. He was available, so you had teams clamoring for him. This year, it was kind of like, take your pick, what you want. I uh, can I have a Brady, I'll have a Rivers, I'll have a Bridgewater. Uh, well, Breeze is going to stay put, so let's see. We're going to get a quarterback here, 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 here. So you got guys like Jameis Winston, who's still searching for a club. That's the first thing which struck me. Um 
Not a great year to be a receiver on the open market unless your name is Amari Cooper. Um, great year in the draft. And if you have a uh, year which is talent rich at a position in the draft, sometimes that affects what happens in free agency and vice versa. If there are no players at a position in the draft, then there's a run on them in free agency and it becomes great for those guys. Those are two things that have really stood out. Uh, don't want to be a running back. Well, that's been um, true for a while, but especially this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were starting to see a resurgence of the running back market with Todd Gurley in 2018 when the Rams inexplicably gave him an extension with two years left on his rookie contract. When the market was under $10 million per year. He dramatically reset it. He got cut. So basically, he got $22.5 million more than he would have had the Rams had him play out his rookie contract and then let him go into free agency this year. Great one fall for him. Um, Melvin Gordon, tactical era in terms of his holdout and overpricing himself. Should have taken that $10 million per year offer from the Chargers last year if it had yeah. any type of decent structure. Because he fell way short of that, um, going to the Broncos, two-year right. deal, seventeen million dollars, less than fourteen million fully guaranteed. So his holdout was to Austin Eckler's gain because it gave him an opportunity to show I can be a full-time running back. Um, is there anything that the CBA has shown immediately? Because I think that one of the things about the 2011 CBA was how much it changed the way players were paid, obviously with the rookie salary cap scale and all that stuff. I think the big thing, Joel, is obviously when the TV deals kick in is that some of these guys like Patrick Mahomes or Dak Prescott are going to make an, you know gobs of money. But is there anything, you know, I, I think that the, the minimum salary stuff for veterans, kind of the NFL's kind of fake version of the, of, of what the NBA does a little bit um, that applied to some of the players. I think Nelson Algalore is one of them. Um, but is there anything that you thought that the new CBA changed about this free agency that we're already seeing, or will we not figure that out until year two or three or four? Yeah. Length of contract, because we're going to have the percentage, the players share go up with the 17th game and then even higher when the new TV deals kick in. You saw more guys want to do shorter term deals like James Bradbury does a three year deal. Jack Conklin does a three year deal. So they get another bite of the apple when they're in their prime um, as opposed to doing the traditional five year deal. I guess if you're Byron Jones and you're going to get 46 million uh, fully guaranteed at yeah, signing, then, just take yeah, then, take, then take the long term deal. But you have guys trying to time it up so that. They'll hit the market again when the new TV money is infused. So the cap goes up tremendously along with the higher revenue share. Uh, is there a signing that we're not talking enough about that you thought was just a home run value for a team? I'm going to go other end of the spectrum first. I'm going to I'm first uh, Vitae. I'm not going to try to say his first name. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. But I won't do it justice. Who would pay that guy $10 million per year? <laughs> Considering he's a mediocre at best uh, guard tackle, whatever you want to call him, um, that that was one of those I was like, "What are we doing here?" <laughs> now on the other end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. I like um, the Raiders signing Corey Littleton for twelve million dollars per year on a three-year deal. Considering that market is closer to fourteen, fifteen million dollars per year. Uh, Javon Hargrave, who is a run stuffer, has some pass rush ability going to Philly for 39 million over three years. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, I mean, I like him from a team standpoint. Um, 
going to the Saints, getting someone else who can be a legitimate threat so they're not throwing every pass to Michael Thomas or uh, Kamara out of the backfield. $16 million over two years. Uh, that was uh, another deal I, I really liked a lot. Well, there's a little bit of talk about this on Twitter, and I think you talked about it a little bit, about just the market moving at cornerback and Byron Jones resetting a market where I think a lot of guys were underpaid. I think that for as valuable as cornerbacks were, I think that there were a lot of steals. Patrick Peterson set the market, what, six years ago, and it didn't really move uh, since then. Is there a position group right now you think is being underpaid? Is it still cornerback? We can still get those values and you should go out and kind of get an elite cor- a cornerback or try to trade for one because, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 million dollars is not a lot for those guys. Um, or is it another position right now? Yeah, it's still cornerback. And the, the mind boggling deal to me is um, Marcus Peters at the end of the regular yeah. season signs for 42 million over three years. And if James Bradbury can get 15 million over three years and Marcus Peters, um, is a guy who produces turnovers and when he's properly focused is an all pro cornerback. I was wondering what he was doing in that standpoint. Cause if you, if you adjust Patrick Peterson's deal for cap inflation, it's almost 21 million a year. So the market still isn't where it should be. The guy who should move it in a significant way is uh, Jalen Ramsey. Because when you do it, when you trade for someone, give them a boatload of picks and don't give him an extension at the time of the trade. You hand that guy a ton of leverage. The Rams have been cutting players left and right, which to me signals they're going to extend him. So he could be the guy that really moves that market. That same principle in terms of making a mistake, not doing an extension, applies to the trader-in-chief, Bill O'Brien. You might as well hand Laramie Tunsil a blank contract and I'm going to fill it in because you gave up basically two first and a second to get him and didn't do the deal at the time of the trade. So he can name his price as far as I'm concerned and cornerbacks not cornerback um, tight end. They moved with Austin Hooper. He's the first tight end to sign for over $10 million per year, but it still lags because Jimmy Graham in 2014 signed at $10 million per year. Then in 18, signed at $10 million per year. And he's, he was the only $10 million per year tight end on two different deals until Hooper got to $10.5 million a year. So George Kittle, when he if and when he gets an extension, is going to blow yeah. that out of the water. Um, the Eagles were negotiating with um, Zach Ertz when they got Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks done. So I'd imagine that's going to be a number pretty high up there. Um, if I'm Ertz, I'm looking at, I'm the number one receiver on the team. I should be the highest paid guy catching any passes on this team. That's um, Alshon Jeffrey at $13 million per year. So if you want me to sign an extension, you can pay me more than that. But they've got an interesting dilemma there, and I know I'm digressing. They drafted um, Dallas Goddard in the second round a couple of years ago. So if you pay Ertz, does that mean you're willing to trade Dallas Goddard? Or if you think Ertz is going to cost too much money to resign, then are you ultimately going to have to trade him in his contract year? But let's say Ertz gets done. The guy who's going to be most interested in that and will probably be marching on Andy Reid's door to get a new deal will be Travis Kelsey because they came in the same draft year. And when they got extensions, they were done a week apart. So I think that deal will be more relevant to Kelsey than Kittle, than Kittle's deal will be. 
Uh, is there last thing for you, Joel? Is there a team right now, a GM who has had a streak of good signings or is managing the cap? You know, I think every you know, three years ago, everybody two years ago, even we were talking about how Roseman and how well he was putting that team together. Um, when you start looking around at these contracts and, and just how the teams are built right now, is there a team in 2020 you're circling where you're saying, Dan, that's, that's a lot of good contracts. Is that maybe Eric Tacosta in Baltimore? Is it somebody else? Yep, that's the one I was thinking of because yeah. you gave up a fifth round pick to get Marcus Peters, and then you gave a fifth round pick to get Calais Cam- Campbell, and then you have value signings with both. Yep. Um, you had a you had a tight end that was a spare part, and you traded him, um, Hayden Hurst. Now you have more draft capital to worry if you want to move up and get a receiver in the draft, you can do so. Plus, uh, you got a great value signing last year of Mark Ingram. So I like what Katas. Uh, DaCosta's doing. Also kind of like some of the moves that Denver's making um, because those have been kind of uh, uh, value signings to a degree. Uh, if you can get a running back for under $10 million a year that potentially is a thousand yard back, um, I kind of like I like that move. Uh, the uh, Getting A.J. Boye to come in and Jarrell Casey in a trade, uh, those are pretty good moves. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think Denver's had a, a handful of bad off seasons the last couple of years and, and I think they're maybe, maybe starting to get uh, how to spend their money this year and how to create value. So I think that's interesting. Well, if they have a quarterback, that's that, then they may be on the road to success. If Drew Locke isn't it, good luck. I said Drew Locke, I said they should bring in competition for Drew Locke just in case he's not. And a bunch of Broncos fans got mad at me. Yeah, Cam Newton's available. Yeah, that, that was what spurred it. And not just Cam Newton, but anybody. I mean, like, unless we know for a fact that Drew Locke is a franchise quarterback, you shouldn't stop looking to upgrade. And uh, I, well, I then found what, out very what, quickly. What Elway could do is he could personally tutor the NFL, the interception machine in Jameis Winston. Yeah, exactly. I, I would stay away from Winston, but I think there's some interesting options out there. But what I found out very quickly was that Denver fans love Drew Locke. And so I'm going to, I'm going to step away from any and all Drew Locke analysis until we get more of a sample size on this guy. All right, Joel Corey, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Joel. Thank you. Okay, thank you to Joel. Thank you to Danny Kelly. Uh, We'll be back soon with another episode of the Ringer NFL Show and the Ringer Podcast Network.